0: Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This is EdUp EdTech, dedicated to interviewing leaders at the front end of technology and innovation in education, hosted by the amazing, the outstanding, the incredible Holly Owens. Now let's get to it and hear from your host, Holly Owens. Hey, guys, we all know how hard it is to onboard new software, especially CRM software. You know what I'm talking about. But you haven't checked out Element 451. You can get up and running and see return on your investment fast. Implementation isn't just another line item to worry about. It's included in Element's straightforward pricing. The onboarding is streamlined because Element knows higher ed and automates things other companies do manually all without sacrificing customer service. And you'll be able to send out those acceptance letters within weeks. You don't have to outsource or wait on other departments for campaign content. Element comes with pre-written, professionally designed emails. It's an all-in-one, modular-based CRM system for your admissions department. If you want to increase yield, increase your enrollments, you got to check out Element 451 at element451.com. That's element451.com.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Ed Up Ed Tech. My name is Holly Owens and I'm the host of this wonderful podcast and today we have a wonderful guest with us who I'm excited to speak with. Please welcome Mark Salisbury. Hi Mark, how are you today?
2: I'm great Holly, how are you?
1: I'm wonderful. I'm looking forward to getting into some of the details about tuition fit and what you do for students but before we do that, I want you to tell me about your journey. Um, you know your experience, how you led you, to, what led you to start Tuition Fit, and how you got into this space. So share with your share your story with our audience.
2: Sure, um, I've spent my whole career working at colleges and universities. Um, I started out in college athletics and uh, was a soccer coach for about a decade, and wove my way through admissions and uh, then did a PhD on higher education and college student success before ending up as a director of institutional research at a small college in the Midwest. And about three years ago, uh, as a part of my work with student data, um, I just was really blown away by the nature of the way that colleges do their pricing models and how it sort of evolved to where it is and how one, it was incredibly frustrating for students and families because folks want to be able to shop by price and the system isn't designed to let them do that. And yet, at the same time, this same model was and is really strangling most of higher education uh, because lots of institutions scare people away with the sticker price that they offer. And it just struck me, we've got a system where nobody likes it. We're still doing it, so how do we fix that? And yeah, you know, students
1: really—I'm sure they really appreciate you and what you're doing. I wish you existed when I went to college, oh, so many years ago. I can't tell you how many
2: times I've heard that.
1: <laughs> Go ahead, keep telling telling us about it.
2: Yeah, so a couple of uh, sort of long walks and thinking about how this might work and talking to some really uh, close colleagues that I trust and, and, um, started to flesh out this idea of how would we make prices transparent and well immediately went to the financial aid offer letters that students get by the millions every year has got that data in it. So if you know how to read those letters and you can create a system that respects the trust exercise of sharing potentially personal information, we could essentially crowdsource this data set and make it available to the public and make it available for the entire marketplace so that um, we sort of break this log jam that's holding back innovation and holding back the ability for higher ed to just be a more efficient marketplace. And so that was how this idea started about 2018.
1: That's awesome. And absolutely, you know, it's just, just amazing how much the pricing and, and I, you know, I attribute it to inflation that, you know, all the different things that are happening. But I remember reading an article recently about back in the day, you know, um, in the nineties or the eighties, when people were going to college, that they were able to have summer jobs and pay for their tuition. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, yeah. that's really working on minimum wage and paying for your semesterly tuition. And then I can't imagine, you know, like when I was in college, you, you, we're looking for the scholarships, the Pell grants and things to actually, you know, cut the cost of the tuition, but I still had to get financial aid mm-hmm. oh, um, to yeah. pay for the, the rest, the remainder that was there. And it just kept going up and up and up.
2: Well, you, you talk about back in the day, and that was my day, it was back in the eighties when I went to college. And the sticker price in those days, yeah, it was lower, but more importantly, the sticker price, price was intended to communicate cost, because it's what it was what you paid, and it was a pretty simple communication. Sticker price is what it is. This is how much it costs. You can shop by price now, and over several decades, the sticker price became a mechanism that was just about signaling perceptions of quality, with the idea that you would just attract more people to your institution if you were perceived to be better, uh, and so doesn't matter then what that sticker price is, it always could be higher because that's supposed to connect to quality. And then underneath that, we'll just start giving out discounts and coupons, otherwise known as financial aid and scholarships, um, generously as we need to, to get people to sign on the dotted line to actually enroll. So the price tag that you advertised became completely disconnected from the price that would, people would actually pay. And slowly that goes from being a mildly annoying thing to a totally crazy thing. And that's where you get the sticker prices have gone through the moon. Colleges are super expensive, but underneath that the actual prices that students pay on average haven't really gone up that much from 40 years ago. The problem is is that now the range of prices that students might pay is all over the place. And how would you like to have to decide between four or five institutions where you don't know if your price is gonna be $10,000 in one direction or $20,000 in another, but you have to make decisions about which one you're gonna actually focus on. that's right that's tough for a
1: student to decide i mean and also too when you're talking about the branding of the institution and what you're paying for the harvards and the yales of the world as opposed to say going to a community college for a few years and i wish i would have done that in saving some money
2: algebra has not changed at all (laughs) and algebra (laughs) is the same whether you go to the community college or whether you go to harvard Yes. So different kind of algebra. Um, but without the data, without the price tags, people can get pretty easily sucked into, well, that place must be better. Look at the fancy buildings. Hey, all these people that are wealthy went to Harvard, therefore they'll automatically love me because I went to Harvard, which of course is <laughs> goofy. And, um, you can really swoon over stuff that's just sort of made up, but it's easily marketed. When you actually have the prices in front of you, you end up with a very different conversation, which is, okay, and we're picking on Harvard, so let's pick a different one.
1: Yeah, and
2: yeah. Yale is, Yale is $75,000 a year, let's say, and the community college is $5,000 a year, and some other regional public institutions, $20,000 a year, and then some other private institution that Is less well known is thirty thousand, and we're talking about the actual prices that you would be asked to pay. Now the question becomes: Yeah, Yale's better, but is it forty five thousand dollars a year better? Right.
1: And And I'm thinking about like what you're saying about all the different things of quality, not just the quality of like the campus. You know, that's that's important quality of the campus, the housing, all those different things, but also quality. Of the learning experience as well Mm -hmm. we talk about that a lot on this show because it has to do with ed tech and your company isn't necessarily traditional ed tech but i like to bring people on who are in this space on the peripheral helping students you know navigate higher education in the best way that they can
2: yes because the goal here isn't just to get into college it's not just to start in fact, that's actually a terrible goal because that's how you end up with all these students that have some college, no degree, and a lot of debt, right? And the goal isn't even really just to finish. The goal is that at the on the day after you finish, the week after you finished, not only have you learned a lot and have you grown up a lot, but you have the financial flexibility to take any of the opportunities that come in front of you because you're not constrained by a looming $500 a month debt payment, right? Right. That's what we really are shooting for. And so if you walk it back from there, then people really need the kind of data that sits in front of them that we're providing so that you can say, you know what? That institution there is $10,000 more a year than this other one, but the way they design their learning experience and the way they integrate in-class and out-of-class stuff that's going to be worth that ten thousand dollars, so I'm a lot more confident taking that option.
1: Right. So you, you you're already alluding to this some um, and talking about tuition fit, but I, I want to get your your perspective on how you define you know technology in this space. How do you define like it could be educational technology, any technology that has to do with assisting students. So what is your take on how we how you, do you personally define that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question because edtech is this sort of just sort of sometimes it ends up being this this sort of grab bag grab bag space where if the if there's some, some some word that says education somewhere in the two paragraph headline then it's edtech. Ed um but I think educational technology and and, and edtech generally it, it has to be about empowering people to be more successful than they were. And success is about learning, growing, but also about expanding your sense of agency, your degrees of freedom, your opportunity after the educational process is over. And so I think that any technology that contributes to that goal fits into this larger space. You know, there's a lot of ed tech that's sort of the the sort of core of ed tech, which is using technology to take courses or do learning in some way. Um, But we have to find that learning in and of itself is is fine, but if it's disconnected from students being able to access it effectively, or if it's disconnected from students being able to integrate it into other experiences effectively. Or if it's disconnected from then leading to actual better opportunities later, then we really haven't done what we're trying to do. And exactly. so I think everything that contributes to that process that thereby produces that ultimate goal sits in this space. Sits in this arena.
1: Right. It sits in this space for sure. Yeah. Definitely. That's why, you know, I love the traditional educational technologies. That's where my passion lies. But I also am a big advocate of technologies and businesses like yours who are trying to do better, make it better for students to, you know, hop into higher education. And now I want to go into, you've, you've talked about this a little bit already. What products or services does tuition fit provide to help students? So you've, you know, you've talked about the financial aid, the pricing and all that stuff, but specifically what does tuition fit do to help the student?
2: Let's start by just focusing on a certain subset of students, the the more traditional type of student in that they're looking to go to college as a full-time student, right? Maybe they're not 18 years old, but they're looking to go to college full-time. So let's just focus on them for a second. But what tuition fit does is it allows people in that process to make better choices that, that ensure that the institutions they're considering, and ultimately the final choice they make, really is the best financial fit for them. There's two places in the process where um, the decisions you make really shape that financial fit possibility. One is at the very beginning of the process when you build a list of schools that you're going to look into more thoroughly, and the other is at the end of the process when, for most institutions now, you can negotiate your price and you can't build a list of schools that ultimately are going to be schools you can consider unless at the very beginning you have the data that ensures that that list is all schools that will be a financial fit once you get in. Likewise, if you're at a stage that's late and you want to talk with more depth of the school about trying to come up with a price that works for you, you can't really negotiate unless you know what's actually going on in the marketplace around you. And
1: you're 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 saying something that's that's odd to me in the fact that negotiations and pricing for higher education. I, I haven't even, you know, you go to the car dealership, hmm. you want the specific car, you can negotiate the price down, but you can do that with colleges, higher education too. I, that I wouldn't even think of that.
2: It is a completely different planet than it was, um, as we said before, back in the day, quote unquote. <laughs> um,
1: I love back in the day. I'm an 80s baby, so I totally, yes. There you I go. love the back in the day.
2: No, that's, and I'm, I'm, I'm always pining for that because I'm old. <laughs> but the, this, this is something that has really shifted. It, and there's a long story behind it we don't need to get into now. But the long and short of it is that most colleges and universities aren't making their enrollment goals, they haven't been for some time. They discount substantially now, and they recognize that they really don't make very much, if any, money on freshmen. They make money off sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So if you don't get them to enroll, you'll never make that money off of them later. So get them to enroll, and that means you have, Flexibility in trying to make that deal work. It used to be that we right. just talked about college pricing and and this late stage. We called it the appeal, right? If you and the appeal comes from a fa- a, fra- a a phase when every conversation about aid was about family need. It had nothing to do with the merit thing that we're now drowning in. But At that point, it was, can you make an appeal to say, look, a financial situation isn't what it looks like to you. We need more help. But in the word appeal, you still have this very loaded power difference, right? Appeal to the king to have his land for one more year, right? Um, Now you're going
1: really old school.
2: (laughs) Yes, that is is older than I am. Um, But the, that now, the, aid packages are sort of doused in merit money. And the fact of the matter is colleges have to get students. And so the public has all kinds of power to say, as a consumer, you know what? I I just can't see paying that much money to go to your institution. Um, Can we find something that will work? And the institutions now are pretty well-practiced at going back and forth to come up with a better price. That's, they don't like to call it that.
1: I can't, yeah, they they don't. They definitely don't want to call it that because then everybody's going to want to negotiate. Now, when this episode comes out, people are going to start rethinking what they're doing, especially students um, who are going into higher education in the next few years. I'm thinking about this. I'm a sports fan. I like baseball and how all the different teams, you know, go after the different, you know, the first round draft picks, the uh-huh. the, the top talent. Right. this changes the game really with the, these negotiations but you know it's not about how you can get the you know the most money you're going to get the you want to get the best price so do you think institutions i know they do recruiting do you think they're going to start going after the top talent and say here is a here's a package you know come to our institution so they can say that the top talent from x high school or x county or state or international student came to our institution is that ha- is that what the future of this looks like
2: well um for a lot of institutions that's the present so there's all kinds of merit money that goes out to schools and schools brag about the kind of students that they get um with bragging about the average test scores and so many with such percent this percentage of our students had a 4.0 in high school and blah 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 and they'll reward those students with merit packages that are oftentimes more than 50% off the sticker price. The difference now is, and the reference to baseball is perfect, because if you remember the Moneyball film. Yes, I do. And there was a lot in there that was about, okay, this is the way this system actually works. So how do you navigate this system to make your money go most efficiently, to spend it as effectively as possible to get the most for what you got. And more and more families are figuring this out.
0: Are you ready to reimagine your admissions and enrollment marketing? Wherever you are in the admissions CRM selection process, Element 451 is here to help you. Now why check them out? Well, Element 451 empowers admissions and enrollment teams to work more efficiently as they develop stronger, more personalized engagements with prospective students. Their cloud-based admissions, marketing, and enrollment CRM platform is powerful, yet easy to use. Complicated systems are exactly that, complicated. At its core are two of the most important ingredients for working smarter, automation and analytics. At Element 451, you get enrollment experts, marketers, engineers, data magicians, and thought leaders with decades of experience working in higher ed and ed tech to help you streamline your systems for more effective and greater yield. Visit them at element451.com. That's element451.com. Back to the
2: conversation of, of, you know, is one school $45,000 a year better than the other one? When you have that kind of data, you start to realize, no, that kind of a price difference doesn't make any sense. But maybe there are other examples where that difference Um, is smaller, but reasonable. Likewise, what if I went to a place that was really inexpensive, but then realized, you know, I need to add this experience and that experience that I can add from outside of the institution and bundle together an educational experience that hits all of the spots I need to hit and allows me to come out with a fantastic resume for a lot less money. Yeah. And oh my
1: gosh. Bundling, you know, it's like, you're buying internet service now,
2: Well, <laughs> internet is,
1: phone, that, you know, all exactly those different where things it's going. There's I, I'm so home. glad it's going this direction because yeah. I think students um, as a student with student loan debt, um, I think this is going to change the game um, when it comes to student loan debt. And also, you know, I, I can't imagine just going to an institution like in, you know, walking into the admissions office, the financial aid office and being like, this is what I can do. Um, how are we going to work this out? And then coming back with a, like a plan. It, it's crazy.
2: Well, this is the other part of negotiating, right? Is that you have to be willing to walk if they won't give you what you need, right? Or you have to be willing to give a little bit from where you wanted to be. And they have to give a little bit so you end up somewhere in the middle. And what that sets up, and this is a really big shift the way that we've always talked about the college search stuff is something that's grounded in 40 years of data. That student success after college is a function of what they did while they were in college, not the name of the school that they went to. And it's not like the college search should be an eHarmony for college students. It's really that there's a lot of different institutions that you could make work And now it's just a question of which one sort of ticks all the boxes in the right way at the best possible price. And when you start thinking about it that way, what you realize is that you could go and try to negotiate with one school or another. But if they say no, you're totally fine walking and saying, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else.
1: Right. I'm going to the next place. That's going to offer me the best option. I've walked out of car dealerships plenty of times.
2: And now you have agency. Now the consumer has power, and now as a student in control of your educational destiny, we have flipped the power dynamic. So now the public has far more control over their educational pathway because they believe that they have more control over their pathway.
1: Right. We're the consumers. You know, we're the ones paying, and we want to have the best experience possible. Why not be able to customize that experience and get what we need? You know there's the in um when i was in college they just started i think it's existed for a while but the interdisciplinary studies where you create Mm -hmm. your own major yep you know it's kind of like that it it, why not i mean i started out in college as a biology major and then i got to organic chemistry and i was like this this isn't gonna work because i wanted to be a biology teacher Mm -hmm. so i had to shift to another major that i could actually finish but mm-hmm. I could have combined different things and I did minor in biology, but I could have, you know, combined them to, you know, have the science degree and also get the social studies and, and still be, you know, ready to go and advertise to the world that I was, I could be a biology or social studies teacher, but you know, with the rules that are in place, that wasn't possible.
2: Right. And this is where, you know, you didn't have a lot of power. You were given, okay, one, the educational things in assembly line, which assembly line you want to gump, jump on, and then you don't get to choose what happens on the assembly line. And that's a mindset that is we've sort of imposed on the public for a couple of decades now prior to higher ed. And as a function of that, students come to college and they just see it as checking boxes. And when you see your educational experience, an educational opportunity is merely checking boxes you don't learn as much you don't grow as much and you're not prepared for life after college because all the skills that we really want people to learn all the skills that employers really want students to learn those are skills that are a function of integrating learning experiences and taking some initiative to do things that would then put you in a position where you have to develop some other skill that's not a class and when students see college as an assembly line, they just punch the clock for the classes and everything else is thrown to the wind. Well, no wonder we're not getting students to be what we want them to be when they get out of college. They, right. If they have that agency, then you have a better shot at that. And I think it all starts with empowering them with that sense from the very beginning of the college search process.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, it's really, let's, let's. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this all day. <laughs> The, the money, the situation, the negotiation, but I really want to highlight tuition fit and what it does. And, you know, I've been on your site and I see you, you click this, getting started, you go to tuitionfit.org. That's correct. Right. Yep, and yep. you, you say get started and you sign up for a free account. So after that process, you know, how, do, how do things work? What are, what do
2: students do? Student just needs to have a sense of What's an estimate of their expected family contribution that would come from filling out the FAFSA? And obviously, if you filled out the FAFSA, you uh, know what that number is, or you should. But you can also go to any number of EFC calculators online and get an estimated EFC. So you need that data. And then you need to know your high school GPA, unweighted if possible. And then if you have a test score, great. But nowadays, we're not so sure whether people have them or not. As long as you have that EFC and that high school GPA, you have the two basic metrics that college pricing is defined by, which is need and merit. And need is sort of short-term for family's financial situation. And EFC, although it's a bad proxy for family's financial situation, it's it's the number that everybody in higher ed uses. High school GPA, it's the number that everybody uses to represent academic preparation.
1: Yeah, you know, it's e scores, ACT scores, all that stuff. And yep. that's a that's actually a podcast episode for another day. Yes. The issue with standardized testing. Yeah. But um you
2: but know, once you have that information, yeah. You plug it into Tuition Fit and we can instantly show you the prices that students who had the same, same similar EFC, similar high school GPA the offers that students just like you receive from colleges all over the country because those students shared their awards with tuition fit and we crowdsource this data set and we're Amazing. constantly crowdsourcing it so students can use tuition fit right out of the gate to shape their list and then late in the game when they're starting to narrow things down and need to negotiate the best price they can get they share the award letters they've got That gives them free access to see all of the data that's happening in real time. And again, you crowdsource this, for lack of a better term, Kelly Blue Book for college pricing. And then you use it because you have the leverage now and the information to help yourself get the best possible price.
1: That's amazing. And I'm sure students really appreciate what you're doing. And I'm sure you get a lot of positive feedback from that but I, I have a question now about how do the institutions feel about this? It's good for the students, but is it good for the institutions? Are they gonna feel like they're being, you know, like now there's this negotiation tactic thrown into the situation? Are they gonna feel like they're not getting the money they need to support their programs or what they think their college is worth? Have you talked to, you know, or partnered with institutions and had, you know, feedback from them? What are they saying about this?
2: Yeah, that's been one of the most interesting parts of this project, frankly. Um, You you would think, or some might think, that institutions would just hate this, right? Tearing down higher ed. The fact of the matter is, is that most institutions are already undergoing a slow death, strangled by the system that they built over the past couple of decades because their high sticker price is scaring away more applicants than they are losing at other points in the funnel. So what institutions have realized, and many college presidents have talked about this, this is not something that's particularly new, that they've said openly, yes, this high price, high discount model is actually not sustainable. We can't keep doing this. But higher education institutions are just bad at change and they're bad at sort of turning that giant oil tanker and they're terribly risk averse. And so, what we have found is many institutions saying to us, you know what, what you're doing is great, and we could really use this data. This could actually help us be more competitive. Um, I'm in Iowa. I'm located in the middle of farmland, and across Iowa and Illinois and Wisconsin and Minnesota, there are hundreds of small colleges in hundreds of small towns, and every one of those colleges is not a big name, they don't have a national reputation, and they're all struggling to get students. Not because they don't have a great actual price, but because the sticker price scares people away. And if those schools go out of business, those small towns die too. And this really matters, and they recognize this, and states recognize this, that we actually have to figure out a way to save these colleges, because they really matter for our frankly, for our democracy, for our whole country. Yeah. And so many colleges are sort of recognizing and we, I've talked to many of them and they, you know what? That data would be really helpful. The next step though is, oh boy, we're not even designed to use that data right now. We'd have to really change some things. How would we do that? I don't know. So there's absolutely an element to this that's disrupting the system the way it's currently running. But at the same time, um, what we're finding is that a lot of institutions are seeing that and going, you know what, that that could actually help us get to where we know we need to go anyway.
1: So is that the next step for tuition fit? Are you going to be working with institutions to help them with the data and yes. and, and put that into their system? So that's actually the next question I have is what's next for you? So you've you set up this great crowdsourcing website. The students are getting the information. So now. I naturally the next step is to help the institutions with this data so tell us more about you know how you're going to do that.
0: Well,
2: I think that, that you know tra- price transparency is our goal. And price transparency means that everybody in this marketplace gets to benefit from it and but they're held to the honesty and authenticity that comes with being transparent. And instit- the students and the families are certainly benefiting benefiting from this. But there's a lot of institutions that could absolutely benefit from it that just are learning that this exists and that we can help them get to a better place themselves and be able to make a more effective value cont- contribution. The other thing that's down the road, not de- definitely not tomorrow. The other thing down the is I'm anticipating
1: what you're about to say.
2: <laughs> uh oh. Um, this is not just an American problem. True. This is a global problem. Varying degrees, college and university degrees cost different at different institutions across the whole world. Things have shifted in this country substantially so that we're going to see a huge wave of international students. And we already know that in the U.S., the population is such that there's not enough students to populate all the institutions that we got. So we are sitting on a potential wonderful opportunity to educate even more international students in the US. But their problem is the same thing that the American students face, which is I'm not loaded with money to just write a check to whatever school lets me in. I got to find a school that actually- But they're not.
1: And if we are, I mean, I would would love to be that person, but yeah, (laughs) Yeah. we have to offer, offer these opportunities to everybody. Yes. Open up these spaces. And I think, you know, one of the things COVID 19 did really well, um, you know, the impact, a positive impact of the pandemic is that institutions, people within institutions were more open to sharing resources. Instead of sitting in silos, I feel like more stuff got shared.
2: Yep. I I mean, there is certainly some of that in institutions, and and institutions that did that well broke out of those silos. you know, have managed to survive this challenge more effectively than institutions that didn't.
1: True. And, you know, just coming from the instructional design world, I was so excited to see an institution sharing resources that they had, like it's crowdsourcing, just sharing things amongst ourselves. Like it helped our students so much. Yeah. Um, so in wrapping up things, I have two final questions for you. Um, what did we miss? Is there anything else that you'd like to share about tuition fit? Things that we didn't discuss. I'm sure we could have a very lengthy conversation about this, and it would be totally awesome. And also, what does the future of this space look like for you? The tech space, the technology space, helping students, you know, look for tuition pricing negotiation. So, what does that look like?
2: Well, the first to answer your first question, tuition fit is a organic. Crowdsourced the public, we build the solution that we need project. So what I would really like people to walk away from this podcast with is spread the word about tuition if you think price transparency is important. Because that's how we're going to build it, is by the public creating this solution. The second thing that that I think comes from this, that that I think answers your second question is we need. We really do need, and the ed tech world can play a big role here, to make it possible for everyone, institutions and the public, to very quickly identify their ROI from each educational opportunity that they look at. We're getting better at using big data to figure out the R, the return. But we tuition fit right now, as far as I know, is the only entity trying to build the I. Because the I, the investment, is individualized. That price ranges all over the place, depending on the institution and depending on the educational opportunity. And until you have both of those numbers, the R and the I, you can't run that calculation. Sure. Once you have it, then all of higher education has a really useful way to start to innovate and identify ways that they can demonstrate a better ROI by either arguing with data that the return is bigger or being able to show the returns the same for a smaller investment. And right now in higher ed, we don't have a great way to be able to make that claim for the wide range of educational opportunities. And as a function of that, we flounder when we're able to really try to convince somebody, no, this is the opportunity for you. That's the opportunity for you over there because we know this ROI fits you and your desire and your need and your abilities right now. And this ROI fits you and your situation right now. Until we have all that data, we can't really get past the log jam that we're at.
1: Right, yeah, we've, I know. And I'm, I'm really glad that people like you exist that are helping students who are helping institutions open their minds to the possibilities because without people like you, that wouldn't happen.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that very much.
1: So um, this has been a wonderful conversation and I can't wait until students, faculty, higher ed professionals get to listen to this um, because there's a lot of great things that you said here. And I really appreciate you coming on, Mark, and thank you so much for your time.
2: It's a real pleasure to chat with you, Holly. You're right. We could talk all day.
1: Yes, we could. Thanks so much. Have a great one. You too.
0: You've been listening to another episode of Ed Up Ed Tech with your host, Holly Owens. You can follow Holly. On LinkedIn. You can also visit her website at jollyholly.me to find out more about what she's up to. Please head to Apple or wherever you download your podcast content and leave us a rating, review, and please subscribe to be notified of future episodes. This has been another incredible episode of Ed Up Ed Tech with your host, Holly Owens.